As we uh, continue in our road trip through Romans, uh, last week we looked at just verse 28. I'm going to start reading verse 28 and down to verse 30, just these three verses, as we continue on this, this section here, just in Romans 8. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these also, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. May the Lord continue to add his blessings to this word. And Father, as we look at the scriptures this morning, several things stand out to us, but we cannot help uh, but realize that you are omnipotent, you're all-powerful, and you're omniscient, you're all-knowing. It's wonderful that we in our humanness can rely upon you and your infinite wisdom, your infinite power. I pray even as we look at the scriptures this morning, as you open them to us, that you also open our hearts and our minds to get a semblance of understanding and grasp the truths that are set before us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Paul just said in verse 28, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible because I believe that's a better translation of verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I'm not going to repeat preach that message, but I am going to call attention to a couple things there. The word no and the word good. I'm going to start with good first. What is this good that is promised? Well, we'll find the answer, and I alluded to it a little bit last week, is in verse 29. To be conformed to the image of his son. Christ's likeness is the goal. Conformity, not comfortableness. In fact, it will be uncomfortable to be conformed to the image of his son. God will intertwine, he'll merge and fuse and blend and mingle, combine everything for our ultimate good. So what? So we will reflect our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ's likeness is the ultimate outcome which God has purposed in our salvation. Outside the Alamo, there is a picture in place. And the inscription under it says this, James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. The portrait of, this, of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. No literal portrait exists of Jesus either. But the likeness of the Son who makes us free can be seen in the lives of his true followers. So that good to be accomplished is that we would be in the image and the likeness of Christ. And we're all in that process. We're all at different stages. Some of us are way behind the rest of you. And others are still growing but you're way ahead. But one thing we recognize and understand for sure we're all in that process of becoming more and more like Christ. 
does our, do we reflect our Savior? And how does Paul know these things? We talked last week about oida. It's just, it's just so. It's a truth, established truth. It's not something I need to experience. I just know these things are true. How did Paul know these things to be true? Well, that answer is found in verse 29 and 30. There's five indivisible links that forge an inseparable chain of our eternal security. Let me say that again. There's five indivisible links. That's why I've entitled the message Unbreakable Chain. Five indivisible links that forge an inseparable chain of eternal security. These, these are, words are so final that Paul can know, not guess, but know these things to be true. If you follow those words, you'll notice that the predicate, that action verb, of the first clause becomes the subject of the next clause. A construction called for, if you're interested, sorties. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, these he also called. Those he called, these he justified. And those he justified are these that will eventually be glorified. And if you follow that progress, I'll tell you what it means here in a minute. I just want to get something else first. Salvation can be, be viewed from the perspective of man's responsibility, which is simply to repent and believe. Cl- clearly and plainly taught in Scripture. Or it can be viewed from God's perspective. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined, as you see here in verse 29. If you turn over to John chapter 4, and you don't need to, but I just want to point this out to you. In John chapter 6, it's interesting to me that in John chapter 6, verse 40, and then again in verse 44, both of these aspects are presented within the same text. You have man's responsibility in John 6, 40. It says, for this is the will of, of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him, you have a responsibility to exercise faith, will have eternal life. And, my, and I myself will raise him up in the last day. Then if you go down to chapter 6, verse 44, you see a divine perspective of salvation. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Well, we often object to that, but here they are in the same chapter, only a few verses apart, we see man's responsibility and divine perspective. We, this morning, or I should say I, I'm going to address what Paul is saying about God's divine perspective of our salvation, not the broader subject of election versus man's responsibility. We're just looking at, focusing on these verses. What I'm going to attempt to do today is take those five words, define them as best I can, illustrate them from Scripture when possible to call attention to it. I would suggest whether you want to do this or not, it's up to you, but I would suggest you would go to the text and either underline or circle these five words. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. 
Then down to verse 30. Moreover, who he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. For new, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Let's look at the, the, the links in the chain as they proceed through the, the scripture. The first link is this, foreknew. God chose us for whom he foreknew. Defined pro gnosko, know before. To know what something before, to know about something before some temporal reference point. To know about an event before it happens, to know beforehand, to have foreknowledge. There's two kinds of knowledge. One is human, I'm sorry, two kinds of foreknowledge. One is human foreknowledge, and the other is God's foreknowledge. It's helpful for us to attempt to understand the difference, even though the full meaning is beyond our finite comprehension of the infinite mind of God. We are limited. He is not. As it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 35, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Yet he has given us his written word so we can attempt to discern exactly what he's saying and what he means. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? So, human foreknowledge. What is human foreknowledge? The ability to know what's going to happen before it happens because it's always happened that way. Therefore, you're pretty sure it's going to happen that way again. Do you get all that happening? It's a happening place. The point is this. Human knowledge is based on past experience. Listen. I know the sun's going to rise tomorrow morning. That foreknowledge based on past experience. It's always happened before, so it's very likely it'll happen that way tomorrow. Correct? Or I might say, it's a hot day today. Which day isn't in Florida? It's going to be hot and humid again tomorrow. That's human foreknowledge based on past experience. Or I might say, in the days when Michael Jordan played basketball, I know there's only 30 seconds left. We're down by two points. But if we can only get the ball to Michael, he can get it in the hoop and win this game. That's human foreknowledge based on past experience. What's God's foreknowledge? What's divine foreknowledge? God's foreknowledge is his divine ability to know what's going to happen before it happens because he intends to make it happen. Because he intends to make it happen. That's God's foreknowledge. It describes God's eternal counsel and includes all he has considered and proposed prior to human history. That's foreknowledge. In the language of Scripture, something foreknown is reserved for those matters which God favorably, deliberately, and freely chose and ordained to be. It's not just an intellectual cognition 
but it denotes a personal relationship. One of the things I found interesting in the study of foreknowledge, particularly God's foreknowledge, it includes this aspect of a personal relationship, a love relationship. Those God, those God foreknew or foreloved, he also predestined to be. Foreknowledge. Let me give you two examples of his foreknowledge. One you may be familiar with. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. God knew before we were even born. Jeremiah 1, 5. This is astounding to me. It's hard to comprehend. But this is what the scripture says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Or Acts 2, verse 23. God delivered Christ out to be crucified. Luke records for us, verse 23, him, that is speaking of Christ, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. Those are examples of God's foreknowledge. In our text, the believer's salvation has its beginning in the mind and counsel of God before the foundations of the world, even as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. There's a chorus, I believe it's Ron Hamilton may be the author. It's from the song or hymn, Before I Loved Him. The chorus goes like this. Before I loved him, he loved me. Before I found him, he found me. Before I sought him, he sought me. Yes, Jesus cares for me. That's foreknowledge. The second link is predestined. As it says there in verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many, many, among many brethren. You see, foreknowledge is God chose me. Predestined is God changed us or changed me. To what? To be more and more like Christ. Pro, before, horizo, to determine by an existing boundary. Defined, it means that Beforehand, the destination is marked out. It simply means to plan in advance. It is only used, in, by, by the way, this is important. It's only used of God in the New Testament. He's the only one who predestines. It is a divine decree of God whereby he determined in advance that something will happen. It is not an afterthought, not a plan contingent upon changed conditions or circumstances. When we hear stuff like that, or when, even when I read things like that and I study, see that it just goes against my nature to think that these things were planned beforehand. These were determined in the past. The word predestination will raise the hair on the back of our necks. It will make us think of fatalism or that we are meaningless puppets 
on a string and God is the puppet master. Or that God is playing games with humanity. We may naturally feel those things as we read, tread water out in the deep end of the pool. Let us not exegete our feelings. Rather, Hold our feelings captive to the word of God. Remembering these verses are a discussion of salvation from God's divine perspective. Don't get caught up in the emotional, I don't like this word. I don't like how it makes me feel. But remember, this is from God's perspective. Someone said it this way, explaining predestination. When we came to Christ, it was like going through a gate. On the outside of the gate, were inscribed these words. Whosoever will may come. Certainly if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because as it says in Romans 10, 13, whosoever will may come. But once we passed through the gate into the Savior's everlasting arms, we looked back and see these words inscribed on the inside. Chosen from the foundation of the world. See, from God's perspective, we've been chosen. From the human perspective, we've chosen. But actually, he chose us before he, we chose him. Try to wrap your mind around that. Three scripture references to predestination. Chosen by God before time. John fifteen sixteen. Christ is speaking to his disciples to dispel their pride and arrogance. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. 1 Peter 2.8. Peter writing to these enduring, those enduring persecution. Nero had burned Rome. He had blamed the Christians and the, the believers there were going under horrific, horrific uh, persecution. He writes to them, You are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Then 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul is trying to encourage these believers, even as we can use this to encourage each other, to stand fast. To stand fast because of their permanent standing already in Christ, he says. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. Remember I said, wrap your mind around this. He chose you before you chose him. That's predestination. In our text, our destination has been decided because God has determined who will go to heaven and that, will, and that he will be like Jesus when he gets there. Image of his son. By the way, there is no place in Scripture where it indicates or says that he chose some not to go to heaven, but rather go to hell. That's no place in Scripture. That's a man-made-up philosophy, although we know that he's determined who will get to go to heaven. He chose us before we chose him. The third link in this unbreakable chain. God calls us He's called. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. This means to be invited, and it was originally used of those received an invitation to a banquet. And indeed, when we 
first get to heaven right after the rapture, there is a banquet set before us there with Christ himself. It means to be invited. It is the inward drawing of God towards salvation. My theology professor explained it this way. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. The Spirit of God makes us willing to be willing to choose Christ, even though he's already chosen us. There's several things I want to look at under here called. There's two callings. I have two observations. And there's the tale of two sinners. Two callings. There's what's referred to as the general call. And then there's a specific call. They are different in their outcome, but it's the same message. The general call, it is universal and non-discriminatory. It is the invitation that God gives to the whole human race. It may be accepted or it may be rejected. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach this good news to every creature. Go into all the world and preach this good news. It's not limited to who this message is given to. Rob Clark's in China. That's part of the world. We're in Naples, Florida. This is part of the world. John 3.16, of course. For God so loved the world. He gave his own one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is not the call that Paul is talking about in this verse. He's talking about the specific call, sometimes the, called the effectual call or effective call. It is the personal inward call of the Holy Spirit on the heart of man. It's the convincing ministry of the Holy Spirit that draws one to Jesus Christ. It is the effective invitation of God which also gives one the ability to respond in faith. I came across this illustration just as an explanation. What are we called from? And what are we called to? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, we're called from labor to rest. From 1 John 3, verse 14, we're called from death to life. Galatians 5, 13, we're called from bondage to liberty. 1 Peter 2, 9, we're called out of darkness into light. 1 Corinthians 7, 15, we're called from bondage to peace. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, we're called to the fellowship of his son. This, that's the specific, the effective, the effectual call. Two observations. The New Testament alternates, depending on the context, between a general call, that is an open invitation, and an effective call, that's the personal invitation, to the one who will believe. The general call, listen very closely, the general call, that is the open invitation, is necessary because within the general call is God's effective call, personal invitation. Simply means this. This is a general call. There are many here who already have put their faith and trust in Christ. There is no doubt there are some who have not. Who that may be is, I don't know. But I do know this. That message that's given as a general call will have a specific effect in that person's life 
who hears a pulling of the Spirit of God in their heart to be saved. That specific call. Romans 10, verse 13 and 14. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? It is necessary. It's absolutely important that we give out that general call because we don't know who the elect are, nor are we to be spending our time trying to figure that out or to be fulfilling the Great Commission. Tale of Two Sinners. You may hear the gospel, or you will hear the gospel. You'll hear that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You will hear the invitation. You will hear, but you will not respond. However, as you heard it, someone else heard and responded. What they heard began to trouble them, concern them, cause them to ask questions. It was God himself drawing that person to his son. You both heard the gospel, the truth of God's word, but one refused the invitation while the other could not resist the promptings of the Spirit to repent and believe. You see, for one, it was a general invitation to refuse, but for the other, it was a specific inward call that led to redemption. Let me share this illustration with you. Several years ago, I had just finished preaching. I had given the invitation, invited those who would want more information, to have someone show them the word of God, how they could be saved, to raise their hand. No one responded. We sang a closing hymn, and I closed in prayer. When I opened my eyes, there was a man who just happened to be a visitor, standing in front of me, and it seemed like he was about five inches in front of my face. With tears running down his face, I asked him what he wanted, and he said, I want someone to show me how to be saved. You see, I gave a general call, but it became effective for that man. He could not resist the personal invitation to repent and believe. By the way, there's a moral to that story. I now pray with my eyes open at the end of the service. That's true, by the way. Which brings us to the last two words. We have already studied in detail both justified and glorified, so I'll be brief in my explanation of them. Justified, God cleanses us. It's that legal declaration that I am right before God, just as if I never sinned, which is astounding. He declares us righteous. He justifies us. See, Christ exhausted the wrath of God by paying my penalty for sin and breaking the power of sin over me. I'm justified. Whom he called, these he also justified. Romans chapter 5, one, 5 verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. He has declared us righteous. Why is that? Well, you'd have to look back in chapter 4. The talks of Abraham. It says he believed God, and God declared him righteous. We, you and I have been justified. God cleanses us. Glorified. 
God completes us. In whom he justified these, he also glorified. It's to be clothed with the glory that God himself has. It is the future fact of uncorrupted bodies, minds, and hearts. It is the word that refers to our glorification as if it has already happened. Now, we're, we're, are we in the presence of God today? I mean, literally? No, God is present here. We know that. But are we in his presence literally? Are we in heaven standing in his presence? No, we're not. But that's what's so amazing about the, the way this word is used in the past tense. It's if it already has happened. In God's, from God's divine perspective, we are already glorified. We're just waiting for the ultimate glorification of being in his presence. It's the already, but not yet. We're already glorified, but not yet. It regards our future glorification as if it is in the past. It is so certain that it is as if it has already happened. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now follow me. Our salvation started in the foreknowledge of God. which led to the predestination in heaven, by the way, which led to predestination. The predestination, as it came down to earth, brought us to justification. I'm sorry, to the call. And the call brought us to justification. And then the justification brought us to glorification. We went from God's foreknowledge in heaven back to heaven. See, that's from God's perspective. It's the way he planned it. He knows us. He chose us before we chose him. Wrap your mind around that. Try to wrap your mind around that. Let me just finish with these three things. I I, I don't know what else to call them than what to take away. And believe me, there's a whole lot more to take away than what I've got here, but these are the three things that just uh, stood up to me. Maybe you'll read them and you'll have something else stand out to you. But one of the things that really just grabbed me was this. Salvation's a work of God. God foreknew us. God predestined us. God called us. God justified us. God glorifies us. It's all God. We, we have nothing to boast in. We have nothing to be arrogant about or proud of. This is a work of God. The second thing, cherish the ongoing nature of God's craftsmanship in our lives. Thank God he's not done with us yet. There's still room for growth. Don't become so self-centered and proud of yourself that you forget to respond to his working in you for growth and progress, to become like Christ, to reflect his image. And the third is, we have the responsibility of taking the good news to the world, not try to identify who is elect and who's not. Charles Spurgeon gave this illustration. He said that if God had painted a white stripe down the backs of his elect, he would spend, Spurgeon, would spend all his time in London going around lifting shirt tails. 
But because God did not do that, he preaches to everyone the gospel. He foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. You cannot have a discussion of salvation, of man's salvation, without you having a glimpse of the divine perspective of salvation. I hope, my prayer, is that this is helpful to understand what a grand and glorious and awesome God we have in spite of our illness, our filthiness. Instead of us running away and him running after us, he still chose us for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together as I close in prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you may say, Pastor Ken, I, I would like to be like that man. I would like to have someone show me from the Word of God how I can be saved. There's, if it's a lady, we'll have a lady show you from Scripture. a man, we'll take you aside privately. We're not here to try to embarrass you. You can come up and say something to me after the service or I'll approach you. Is there anyone like that that would like to know Christ today? Just raise your hand. Then Lord. Secondly, if you would consider what is God doing in your life right now? How is he trying to change you to reflect Christ? What is he and how is he moving upon you? Are you willing to surrender that and change? You say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me. Is there anyone like that? Any others? Again, Father, I, as I often, above and beyond, would ask or think according to the power of God that works within us. Thinking of your omniscience, your omnipotence. It's, it's more than we can comprehend. Thank you for having Paul share a glimpse of those things to see what's going on behind the scenes and see your all-working power even though I don't understand all of it. I pray that we will respond to the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives, whether it be for salvation or be for continuing to change and, be, and grow and move and mature. I pray, Lord, that we may be as a church vitally, actively involved in giving out the gospel message, planning and, and spreading those seeds because we don't know the ground. We don't know who may come along and water it. I pray that we'll be faithful in that. Guide us now through the week. I pray that your abundant hand not only be upon us, but we will be very sensitive to your working. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed this morning.